surrounded. But if you just open your eyes a little bit wider, he's right outside of that darkness. You just got to choose to fight your battle. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, I just believe you've done quite a bit just by your spirit. I thank you for the table that has been set from prayer to praise to worship. Hallelujah. So just continue to have your way. Manifest yourself through the words that have come out of my mouth. I decrease, increase in me, Holy Spirit. Be that surgeon and may your word be the scalpel that's doing surgery in the spirit of every man and woman here. I thank you in advance for your deliverance, for your peace, and for your power in Jesus' name. Turn to your neighbor, give him a hug, a holy hug, and say, you better watch out. Watch out. I may explode up in this place. Praise God. God, mighty through God, mighty getting to God, by the pulling down of strongholds. Think about that. We get caught up too much in stuff that don't matter, and our minds are occupied with so much of what has happened that it can predetermine and affect what can happen. And oftentimes we set ourselves up for loss because that's what we anticipate. The rejection of a father, the rejection of a mother, the abandonment of a spouse, the unplanned pregnancy, the release from a job, 
the despair of children going wayward. We get caught up in what's wrong that we fail to take that back and position ourselves to receive what's right. And it's us receiving what's right that has power to make everything else right. See, when Joseph said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He said that from a place of how he was determined to live. And how he was determined to behave himself. God trusted Abraham because he knew he would rear his household in faith. And I don't know about you, but this house right here, we're going to be all right. We're going to be all right. The gospel is just not some good news to your despair. The gospel is also an admonition for you to continue on in your success. Amen. Mm. Some of y'all need to just really sit on that. What you think, like for real, what you thinking? What are you thinking? Like for real, what's on your mind? Really ask yourself that. Like, what, what do I really believe about me? What do I believe about my situation? What do I believe about this outcome? What do I believe wh about what happened? And why do I believe it? Anyway. I don't know where my shoes at. They're gone. Okay, we'll just leave them right there because this is good right here. All right, we're talking about victory. Last week, we talked about Air Force One. You are an heir, and in being an heir, you've been given position and you've been given promises. God came back to force that will in that testament. So in that force, you've been given power, you've been given privilege, but it comes with you having passion. And then on the back end of that, one. When you realize that Jesus won on that cross, you have peace. All right, now we're gonna pick it up for here. We're going, this one is weapons of mass distraction weapons of mass distraction because believe it or not though you've won the war you got many of battles in front of you and the difference between you walking in that victory and not walking in that victory is determined on how focused you are on Christ second Timothy chapter 2 passion translation says in verses 3 and 4 overcome every form of evil as a victorious soldier of Jesus the anointed one <laughs> for every soldier called to active duty must divorce himself say must divorce himself from the distractions say from the distractions of this world so that he may fully satisfy the one who chose him you cannot satisfy God and focus on the world at the same time he says, he who has been called as... Hey, soldiers. Because if you are in Christ, you've called to be a soldier. Guess what? That means you're equipped for warfare. The only advantage is that you, have the, you already have the win. You just got to get through the battlefield. And he says, if you're called, you've got to realize that you're a soldier and you cannot, you've got to separate yourself and divorce yourself from the distractions of this world so that you can fully satisfy the one who chose him. You can't be fully, you cannot fully satisfy God if you're, you're investing three and a half hours a day on social media. 
I'm just saying. So oftentimes, what keeps us from walking in the victory that's already right in front of us is that we've become distracted. So I'm gonna, in the notes, if you're following us, you can follow, if, if, I would encourage you to follow us on the YouVersion Bible app, the notes are there. Now the notes that are there are the notes from what I had planned on uh, ministering to you, but we're about to do the uh, abbreviated version. I'm gonna concentrate on three of the five, okay? Is that okay with you all? And I think these three are so significant because they, they end up feeding the other two. But the five that we were going to talk about, this is the enemy's weapons of mass distraction. This is how the enemy gets you off kilter and off focused off on the, from the victory. This is how he gets you messed up and in despair by getting your eyes on something else. And those five, the top five, envy and strife. James said, where there's envy and strife, there's every evil work and confusion. Unforgiveness, which we will talk about. Offense, which we will talk about. Complacency, which we will talk about. And complaining. And complaining just goes hand in hand with the first four. So we'll start with the first one that we're going to talk about today, and that is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32. It says here, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil, evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. See, know and understand that God is telling us that in order for us to posture ourselves and be in the position of receiving all that he has, we have to unfilter the, the clog. We have to open up the filter and we have to just let it, let it all go. And that means that we have to be an open vessel to forgive so that we can receive God's forgiveness. So he says, put away all bitterness. Now that word bitterness speaks to the unforgiveness. It says that bitterness is defined as being hard to bear, distressful, grievous, resentful. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger, because that's what comes with this package of unforgiveness and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And then he says, be ye kind to one another. Now, I want to talk about this a little bit in this service because I think it goes misunderstood oftentimes. He says, be kind to one another, not be nice. There's a difference between being nice and being kind. Let me learn you something. See, I can, you know, there's Mama Orgene over there. I love me some Mama Orgene. Stand up, Mama Orgene. <laughs> I've known Mama Orgene for a while. I'm about to step outside the light. I'm sorry, camera people. <laughs> I love me some Mama Orgene. She's, she's all over the place. Oh. And, um, and, I know, and I'm confident that she loves us, okay? So then... We're talking about unforgiveness here, okay? And we're talking about being nice versus being kind. Now, Mama Orgene can come to me and tell me that Minister Diane get on her nerves, that Minister Diane keep on saying stuff that gets, just, gets, just irritates her, and that Minister Diane just did something that just was off kilter, and I just don't understand why she did that. Does Minister Diane not like me? Okay? She, she didn't do that, I'm just saying. All right? But then she could leave me and go over to Minister Diane 
and say, hey girl, how you doing? What's been going on with you? I miss you. You ready to be a grandmama? Let me tell you, being a grandmama, that's something different right there. And come back to me, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're a good actress, Mama Orgen. You can go back to your seat now. Was she nice to Diane? She was nice to Diane all day long. Was she kind? See, being kind means I'm able to be honest and in love to the individual. We nice all the time. But we're not kind. I ain't got my shoes on, I don't need no help, I'm good. So being kind, he says, be kind to one another. In other words, speak the truth in love with one another. Be honest with one another. And in doing so, you know, don't be afraid to say to that individual, don't ever put yourself in a position where you're talking to, about, to somebody else about an individual that you're not willing to say to them, to them face to face. I was brought up in a way in which you make it a point. If you got something that is kind of confidential, you tell no more than one or two people, maybe three. And never say anything to somebody else that you're not willing to say to their face. But if you only tell three people and if it ever gets back to you, you know where it came from. He goes on to say, tenderhearted forgiving one another. See, this bitterness, when it takes root, when it takes root, it starts affecting you. You've heard Pastor Gregory and many of people say, unforgiveness is like drinking poison but hoping the other person dies. And, you know, we know about the big unforgiveness. They did something to me and I forgive them, mm-hmm. Yeah, we're good now, uh-huh, we're good. Um, no, I talked to her about it, so yeah, I forgive them. But we'll skip an appointment, we'll skip an occasion, we'll not go to the party knowing that they're going to be there. We'll stay on the other side of the room and we'll not circle the room because the other person's on the other side of the room. But the simple fact that your awareness of that person being there has just altered your entire behavior speaks to your unforgiveness. But I'm not talking about that, that simple, they stole money from me unforgiveness. I'm talking about that covert unforgiveness. That my ex-husband and my ex-wife type of unforgiveness. I'm talking about that ex-boyfriend, that ex-girlfriend, I can never trust men or a woman again in my life unforgiveness. I'm talking about how my mom and my daddy used to do this to me and, and that type of unforgiveness. That unforgiveness where you know you're supposed to forgive, but you, you allowed it to alter your behavior, so you still kind of hold on to it, to it with them, and, and therefore you can't give them who you truly are type of unforgiveness. Y'all know that low-key, deep-seated unforgiveness. Because, see, that's the type of unforgiveness that puts you into this place of fear, guilt, or shame. And then it ends up rotting away your bones. This physician said in a Huffington Post article in 2017, 
Dr. Cynthia Thake, she says, toxic emotions can lead to serious health problems, including heart disease, impaired immune systems, heart attacks, and strokes. Hebrews 12:15 in the Passion Translation says this, watch over each other to make sure that no one misses the revelation of God's grace. Watch over each other to make sure no one misses the revelation of God's grace. Now mind you, his promises are there. His victory is there. His healing is there. His comfort is there. His answers are there. His wisdom is there. But you can miss it because of your lack of the revelation of God's grace. And listen to what it says afterwards. And make, no, make sure no one lives with a root of bitterness sprouting within them which will only cause trouble and poison the hearts of many. You can miss God's grace and the revelation of God's grace because of this root of bitterness that's budded and sprouted up within them. And it always causes trouble and poison the hearts of many. See, the, see what he's saying there is that I can be in unforgiveness and I can adopt it as my way of behavior. I could adopt it as this is just who I am now. I have this here bitterness in me, so therefore I don't trust nobody. And even when a good thing comes my way, I'm like, what you really about? And I end up poisoning and making toxic the entire situation that could have been fruitful and a blessing to me and many others. And because of my unforgiveness, now I've induced it in other people because they might have a little bit of unforgiveness. And I fed something evil, now I've curbed them from getting what they could get. Because remember, you can't earn God's goodness. So even in unforgiveness, you can go out and get your PhDs, your DBMs, your ABCs and XYZs. You can get the promotions and be the CEO, CTO, COO, CEO, CFO, OC, Bobby, Godio, and still function in misery because of this root of unforgiveness, this root of bitterness. I was just at a women's uh, luncheon. Oh, by the way, we had a great time yesterday, boy. I love being among some rowdy Christians, boy, I do. But anyway, I was, at, I was speaking at another women's uh, lunch some time ago, and one of the questions that came up was this. This woman was like, I don't understand why I just can't ask God for a man that's for me and the way I want him to be, um, and, and oh, what's wrong with a man just doing what I ask him to do? <laughs> you know, when you're sitting there perplexed, like, did she really ask me that question? Does she, Holy Spirit, does she really want to answer? You know, you, go, you, you have your whole conversation in your head, right? And ultimately, I, I said, nobody on earth is equipped to just do everything you say do. And no man, you will not be satisfied with anyone that just does everything that you want to, them to do. And she just, I don't see anything wrong. And then later on, the, one of the other ladies came up to me and says, that's why she ain't married. <laughs> I didn't know that, but you know. So unforgiveness is such a big one 
Because that's the culmination of the rejection of what God has done for you. And if you can't forgive other people, guess what that ultimately means? You can't forgive yourself. And if you can't forgive yourself, there is no way you can receive the forgiveness that God has offered you. So you are instantly out of step with the grace that he's so lovingly given unto you. And you're out of step with the victory that he died on that cross for. The second one. Offense. And I'm not talking about football. Offense. I said that offense, one of my quotes is that offense is the treachery of civilized unforgiveness. It's the treachery of civilized unforgiveness. In other words, some, you can be just offended just because you're just, off, you're just offensive. You could just be offended about something and live in this place of offense just because of the unforgiveness that you've harbored in your own life and just because of you know, what has happened and you can't get past it. A lot of church hurt, you know, a lot of church hurt, I'll dare to say this, is not so much that someone intentionally hurt you as much as it is you being offended and they didn't recognize it. But oftentimes, we heal not because we talk not. We won't go talk to the individual. We won't go talk to the situation. We won't go speak into our own minds and asking ourselves, why is this bothering me? Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18 in the Passion Translation says this. And now, dear brothers and sisters, I'd like to give one final word of caution. Watch out for those who cause divisions and offenses among you. When they antagonize you by speaking of things that are contrary to the teachings that you've received, don't be caught in their snare. For people like this are not truly serving the Lord our Messiah, but they're being driven by their own desires for a following. Utilizing their smooth words and well-rehearsed blessings, they seek to deceive the hearts of the innocent ones. So basically, when you're, when you're caught up in offense, what's happened now is that that root of bitterness, that unforgiveness now, has now postured yourself where you want to make this a movement. You want to make this a cause. If there's an exodus, then you want to lead the exodus. If there is going to be a family meeting, you need to call the family meeting because you want to set it straight because you're offended that grandpapa didn't leave me in the wheel. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to manipulate the minds of the children because their daddy was wrong and he don't deserve to have visitation times and he don't deserve, or she don't deserve to get the child support. She don't deserve to keep them during the holidays and fathers that... That unforgiveness now has turned into offense and now the offense needs a following. Now they disturb the hearts of the innocent ones because they're sowing discord and division. And where there's discord and division, there's no unity. Where there's no unity, nothing can stand. See, a lot of you dealing with in divorce situations, blended family situations, and children are involved. And I don't care where that other person is. It's within you to settle it. They don't have no more power than you give them. So if they have the power to make you mad, to make you cuss them out, 
It's because you gave it to him. Matthew 18, verse 7, the Passion Translation. I hear this right now, but you don't know what he did. You don't know what she did. You can say that because you married to Pastor Gregory. Listen, I sit. I have sat in eight by ten offices listening to the treachery, listening to the evil, listening to the manipulation. I've been there. I've gone to court hearings. I've sat in, dis, uh, uh, in, in depositions. I've sat in mitigations. I wasn't in it, but I definitely was a part of it. And you could always see the judges always nodding their head because you could always see you just fighting for your way because you're offended in this situation. Ooh, this is not supposed to go this way, but praise the Lord. Matthew 18, verse 7 in the Passion, it says, Misery will come to the one who lures people away into sin. Troubles and obstacles to your faith are inevitable, but great devastation will come to the guilty one of causing others to leave the path of righteousness. He's talking about misery coming to people who lure people away into division and to discord. But you just got to know up front, listen, your faith is going to come with troubles and, 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 and obstacles. It's going to be challenged, but it's when you decide to stay on the side of faith, love, and, and joy that now you can see your way through. A lot of times we get too caught up in what's wrong and the misery of what's wrong, and now we, we just succumb to it, and it's not necessary. Let's talk about somebody who was offended. I mean, he was offended. He was like, you know what? We're supposed to be running this by now. You've been talking all this big talk and stuff. You've been raising people from the dead. You've been multiplying fish and bread, but man, I need to see something happen. When is it really going to benefit me? So turn in your devices or your Bibles to, 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 to Matthew chapter 26. See, Jesus is in the last days now, and he's at the dinner table uh, as they prepare for the Passover, and he's about to go to that cross. And, and while he's sitting there with all 12 of his disciples, it says in verse 21, and as they did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful and began every one of them to say unto them, Lord, is it I? Pay attention to that. Every one of them started saying, Lord, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, he that dips his hand with me in the dish, the same will betray me. The son of man goeth as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Verse 25, Then Judas, which did betray him, answered and said, Master, is it I? And Jesus said to him, You said it. Now notice, further up in verse 22, it says they all became sorrowful and said, Lord, is it I? Now, them addressing him as Lord is significant because they are saying you are supreme in authority. You are God Almighty. You are the Messiah. But then it says later on that when it gets to Judah, Judas, he says, Master, is it I? He told on himself before all 12 of them. Because, see, that word master simply means teacher, rabbi. He was offended. So he wouldn't even esteem Jesus, the Son of God, 
in all the works that he has saw, he wouldn't, have, he wouldn't even esteem him for who he was. Instead, you, you put your pants on just like me, one leg at a time. Who you? What you do for me lately? So you're just teacher. You're just rabbi. you just the dude. Is it I? And Jesus said, you the one who said it. In other words, you just said it by how you addressed me. You just told on yourself. A French philosopher back in the 16th century said it like this. I love his response. Whenever anyone has offended me, I raise my soul so high that the offense cannot reach it. That's Rene Descartes. He says, whenever anyone has offended me, I raise my soul, my thinking so high that the offense cannot reach it. You know, I was telling earlier, you know, I have plenty of reasons to be offended. We all have offended somebody. We have. And we all have been offended. And so me, you know, of course, I think I'm special. So, you know, I've been offended. I've lived in offense. I mean, I, I, I've lived being offended, someone offending me almost daily. And one of them, I'm going to learn you something, a little something. Cultural learning, since we're celebrating Cinco de Mayo today. Hasta mañana. Oh, it's no longer morning. Well, buenos dias. Um, but, you know, Growing up, I was called Chinese, chink, whatever, whatever, all, the, all my life. Then I, 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 was, I would spend time, you know, like, I ain't Chinese, I ain't, you know, da, 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 and I, I, my, that martial arts was necessary in my life. <laughs> Very necessary in my life. And then I, I came to high school and college, and people would call, say that I was Oriental. Some of y'all already know where I'm going. And I would spend time, especially in high school and college, like, rugs and plates are Oriental. I'm Asian. <laughs> and just to be clear, it's Korean, not Chinese, Japanese, or chink. Because you don't call people Oriental. That's a decorative term. Amen. I could have, to this day, it still happens. Am I about to spend my time and my life and my energy correcting everybody that calls me Oriental? Hex no. Am I about to sit up there and be offended and don't hear nothing they got to say just because they said I was Oriental? No. Ain't nobody got time for that. Amen. So sometimes in our offense, we lose the blessing that's on the other side of it. The next one, which is really, really important, complacency. Complacency. And I believe Christians are so guilty of this. Complacency is defined as being lukewarm, passive, slack, rut, stagnant, self-satisfied, smug, apathetic, hard-hearted, numb, callous, insensitive. Listen to these statistics. 70% of Americans have jobs that they hate, according to Forbes. 80% of Christians don't read their, daily, their Bibles daily according to Christianity today. Only 55% of Christians are willing to share their faith, according to the Barna Group Survey of Faith. And 73% of pe married people feel that their marriage is in a rut after seven years, according to the Berkeley Science Review. And the number one blogging self-help uh, topic out there is help me get out, uh, unstuck from my rut. 
So in other words, we can get to a place of comfort and just coast and deal with the effects of misery while complaining the whole time when we can make changes and aspire to greater heights every single time. If you're working a job that you can't stand, then change jobs. But if you don't like it because of the people, then grow. I'm about to fuss a little bit. Don't ask me to pray for you to get this job. And I'm praying for you. When y'all ask us to pray, we pray. You get the job and then three, three, weeks, three months later, you're talking about you don't know if you got heard from God because this lady don't like <laughs> you. We give people too much power. And in our complacency, we get our laziness too much power. We give our comfort too much power. I am filled. This place, Linked Up Church, has a lot of successful and comfortable people. Most of y'all, if y'all want to eat, y'all going to eat. Very few of you have to go to the soup kitchen or to the, to, the, to the spot, Hosea Feed the Hungry, to get something to eat. Very few of us. A lot of, most of you are comfortable. Most of you drove here. Listen, we need parking right now because of that. Already. Praise the Lord. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 through 15, and then verse 18 and 19. It says in the message, write to Laodicea, to the angel of the church, God's yes, the faithful and accurate witness, the first of God's creation says, I know you inside and out and find little to my liking. You're not cold, you're not hot. Far better to be either cold or hot. You're stale. You're stagnant. You make me want to vomit. This ain't me. This is the word of God. <laughs> you brag, I'm rich. I got it made. I need nothing from anyone. Oblivious in the fact that you're a pitiful, blind beggar, threadbare and homeless. Here's what you, I want you to do. Buy your gold from me. Gold that's been through the refiner's fire. Then you'll be rich. Buy your clothes from me. Clothes designed in heaven. You've gone around half naked long enough. Buy your medicine for your eyes from me so you can see, really see. The people I love, I call to account. I pride and correct and guide so that they'll live at their best. Up on your feet then, about face, run after God. You've never arrived, saints. And we're not pressing for a goal. We don't want just this. We want heaven. And heaven, that journey there, encompasses a whole bunch of goals and uh, achievements along the way. And anytime you find yourself stagnant, anytime you find yourself comfortable, just know two things are on the horizon. Either you're going to strive for what's next, and you're going to strive to go higher in the heights of God, or you're about to be attacked. The choice is yours. Because see, the enemy, he has... He has his, 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 his weapon on you. And if he can get you distracted by binge watching Game of Thrones for nine hours, <laughs> if you can get you distracted by you sitting up looking at perusing social media for four hours a day, <laughs> if you can get you distracted by complaining and, 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 and talking about what somebody did to you all day, <laughs> All the while, guess what you're not lending yourself to? 
developing the fruits of the Spirit, putting on the helmet of salvation, girding your loins about, that breastplate of, of, of righteousness, that shield of faith, that sword of the word. You're not, developed, you're not putting on heaven's clothes. You're not eating heaven's fruit because we become complacent. It's easy to become comfortable, especially people who've achieved your degrees, your promotions, your raises at the job, you know, that inheritance, whoop, whoop, that brand new car, whoop, whoop. We can become complacent and then miss, because we, we, we're distracted now, celebrating now, doing that dance. All the while, they done already ran all the way down to the other end zone. Amen. Let me share something with you about complacency. And this is somebody that, that I mean, somebody most of us have heard about. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 through 26. It says, and behold, one came and said to Jesus, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Jesus said unto him, why call me good? There's none good but one, that's God. But if you will enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said unto him, which? Jesus said, thou shalt do no murder, commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, honor your mother and father, love your neighbor as yourself. And this rich young ruler says, all these things I've kept up from my youth. So what do I lack? He thinks that what he does will get him into heaven. But Jesus twists the whole tale. He said unto him, if you will be perfect, then go sell what you have. Give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. So now he twisted having eternity versus having the kingdom of God, God's way of doing things. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, sad emoji face. For he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter to the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say unto you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, what? Who can be saved then? Because we all want to be rich. But Jesus said unto him, said, beheld them, he saw them and said unto them, with men it's impossible, with God, but with God all things are possible. So we know there, he's saying all things are possible with God, when you're with him, when you're doing his things, when you are living life according to his kingdom. But what he says there, it's not that it's impossible. How many of you know of a camel that can go through the eye of a needle? See, what he's actually meant there, meaning there, that was a saying back in that day. When you go over to Israel, we went there, and Israel's filled with a whole bunch of mountains. I mean, it's not flat at all. A whole bunch of mountains, and in those mountains, there's a whole bunch of caves. So most times, it's easier and faster to get to your destination by going through those caves. But because you got to go through these caves, you can't take your chariot or your carriage. Instead, you got to load up your camel. And you load up your camel with all your needs and your possessions for the journey and whatever you're taking with you for your destination. And in doing so, that way you can lead the camel because he's more nimble to go around and go through these here, uh, through the mountains. But then you come to that cave that has an opening like this, but the camel with all the stuff on his back is like this. And so what, and that's, that little bitty hole that's in the cave is called the needle, the eye of the needle. 
And so what you have to do then is you have to take everything off of the camel. You have to strip him down. He has to get on his knees and crawl through. And after he crawls through, then you go back and you grab all the stuff and you with the camel pull it through the eye of the needle and load it back up. And what God is saying here for the rich man, now he's not saying rich just in money, but rich as in accomplishments. Because mind you, that though he had a lot of possession, he also said, I've been good. I've kept all these things from, since my youth. I ain't steal, I don't lie. Can you imagine a little bitty boy all the way up until adulthood say I never lied? He lying. <laughs> I've honored my mother and my father and I love my, I love my neighbor as myself. I mean, and Jesus didn't rebuke him. He's been good. He's been good. He is achieved. He is successful. He is comfortable. But see, he got caught up in his doing. Because he says, so what else do I lack? In other words, I, what? And God is saying for a rich man, an accomplished person, an achieved person, a high achiever to get into the kingdom of God, he has to realize that he has to strip down all that education, strip down all that wealth, strip down all that favor, strip down all those accomplishments, strip down all that stuff that he thought he got for himself, strip down his family's name, strip down his hookups and his connections, and strip down his popularity. And he has to get on his knees to crawl through that needle, that eye of that needle. And in getting through that eye of that needle, he can now stand back up by himself and then go get the stuff. God has enabled you to get everything that you have. See, in that complacency, listen to what he says. In Hebrews chapter five, verse 11 and 12, he's warning against the last days, of whom you have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing, for when the time ought to be that you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. Basically, Paul, who they, we presume to be the author of this, is saying that they've become dull in hearing. So now they've gone back to some old raggedy ways, and now they've got to be taught all over again. James says it like this in chapter 1, verse 23 and 25 in the Amplify. If anyone only listens to the word without obeying it and, be, and being a doer of it, he's like a man who looks carefully at his own face, natural face in a mirror, for he thoughtfully observes himself, then he goes off and promptly forgets what he looks like. But he who looks carefully into the fruit, faultless law, the law of liberty, and is faithful to it, perseveres in looking into it being not a headless, heedless listener who forgets, but an active doer who obeys. He shall be blessed in his doing, his obedience, his life of obedience. I like the way it's quoted up here. Steve Furtick says it like this. Ooh, no, I, I missed that. I like to put it like this. Joe Makasagi, he's an African uh, blogger out there right now. Uh, well, earlier, a couple years back, he put this out there and I was like, that's good. He says, winners do not whine, they roar. <laughs> winners don't whine, they roar. Helen Keller says it like this, although the world is full of suffering, 
it is also full of the overcoming of it. And I think Helen Keller was very well qualified to make that statement, given that she was blind, deaf, and mute. She says, though the world is full of suffering, it's also full of the overcoming of it. Listen, don't get caught up and be a victim of those weapons of mass distraction. Don't get caught up in unforgiveness. Don't get caught up in offense. Don't get caught up in complacency. If you're comfortable, then go back to what God told you that you're supposed to achieve and walk in and set your steps to start walking in that. Go look for your own challenges. Don't let the enemy put a challenge in front of you. Because when he puts the challenge in front of you, it's meant to take you out. But when you pick your own challenge, it's meant to grow you up. Amen. Did you all get anything out of that? <laughs> Praise God. Well, you know, as the music department makes their way up here, I just don't want to ever take for granted that you're not in on the family. You know, there was one who was not distracted. He says, I love them relentlessly and I am focused. In fact, when someone tried to distract him, when he told them, he told his boys, he told his crew, listen, I'm going to die in three days. I'm going to die in a few days, but in three days I'm going to get back up. I got to suffer many things. One of his boys said, no, far be it from you. You're not about to suffer nothing. We're going to go down with you. And he looked at his boys and said, get thee behind me, Satan. You're not about to distract me. Jesus was focused. Jesus was uncompromised. He was relentless. He didn't yield to offense. Yet he offended many. He didn't yield to unforgiveness. He came to be the sacrifice for forgiveness. And Lord knows he wasn't complacent. He redeemed the entire creation after three and a half years. That name Jesus is a name that is above every name. And be on this side of the courtship when he comes back. Hail in his glory and his army of angels. If you've never received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior while people are searching their hearts, you've never said, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I commit myself to you. You can't open up that Bible and show yourself or anybody else how I know that I'm saved. If that's you, I would love to pray with and for you. And, 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 and increase your understanding in that area. I think too many of us just presume that we're saved, but we don't know that we're saved. Or perhaps you are saved and you knew it. You know it. But you also know that you've lived life contrary.